Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Do We Like Murder, a segment of the Long Overdue podcast, a production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas, and also a continuation of sorts from our last episode, uh, because Denise just really, really likes that book, or really likes murder books. <laughs> and the story behind. And the story behind the murder. Yes. <laughs> um, I think he's right. I think I just really like murder. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now we're back to hear about uh, what Dawn read for this segment. Yes. Unless Denise has anything else to add. There we sit. There we end. No, Denise does not have anything else to add. Okay. <laughs> there's more <laughs> information. About my thing. <laughs> yeah, there's I probably have things to add about Don's thing. Sure. There's more information, uh, so you need to check out the book, though. Denise didn't cover everything. Right. Oh yeah, I did not tell everything. It sounded like I told everything, but I did not. There was a lot of other craziness in there. So just imagine all the content that you'll. You'll be uh, that you will not miss out on if you check out that book and read it for yourself. All you got was a uh, half of the story. You need to read the rest. Mm-hmm. The rest of the story. Yeah. All right. So I read looking. Oh, closing time, and it's the true story of the looking for Mister Goodbar murder by Lacey Fosberg. This was very interesting and confusing. The book, yeah. yeah, the book is really good, and and all that. But I think that they—I don't think she said it, but she changed the names of people. Mm-hmm. So when I went back to do more research, I was just so confused because they were talking about this person and that person, and I'm like, who is who? And I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think part of it is who they named the character in the in this book, who they named the character in the movie, and then who she really was uh-huh. when you look on the internet. So, wow. I think her name was Teresa in the movie, and then they named her Catherine in here, in the book, and um, her real name was Roseanne Quinn. But, mm-hmm. but the interesting thing is, is that I saw something that her older sister, at least in the film, was named Catherine. Huh. So they just messed up names everywhere. So it was very confusing. Yeah. Okay, so one of the other confusing things that I wanted to start with and Denise, you may be able to help me with this because I, I have vaguely a little bit of information, but where did Mr. Goodbar come from? Because that's a candy bar. And I know. I mean, it is a candy bar, right? Yeah. There's the, <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah, yeah that's the first <laughs> right, thing I, I thought of. They, I was uh, like, what does the Mr. Goodbar have to do with her? Yeah. So, so what I found was that... Um, this lady, okay, so I'll go back to Roseanne. If I get confused on names, I apologize. So Roseanne uh, liked to go to a bar, 
mm-hmm. and pick up men, and she would kind of hang out there and, and all that. And she was supposed to be a good girl. People had that impression. It's like she had a double life. So that's the only connection I could make of why they called it Mr. Goodbar. Do you have any idea? Yeah, um, unless it was something more along the lines of, you know, meeting a good guy at a bar. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. true. You know, or, or it was the guy that she met at her bar, you know, her good bar. It's a good good bar, so, the mister she met at the good bar. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Like, that, was, that was her bar. So it was a good bar that she went to. And she would pick up dudes there. So, you know, just the guy that she picked out of her good bar, Mr. Good Bar. Yeah. So the one thing, I mean, I have not seen the film. It was a 1977 film. And looking for Mr. Good Bar was the um, original book that was written by Judith Rosner uh, in 1975. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read that. And so maybe she explains it in that book where it wasn't explained in this book or anything else yeah, I could see. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. I thought, you know, you probably had heard about this and maybe had some more information mm-hmm. for me. I have, I have heard about it, but yeah, that was always just kind of my thought on it was that it was, you know, her bar. Cause it sounds like she went to the same bar. Like she didn't bar hop. Like she always went to the same. Was it tweeds? Like tweeds bar or something like that? Yes. Yeah, she did. Uh, I think she frequented some other places, but that was the main bar I think that she went to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, okay. A little bit of background about Roseanne. Um, she, when she became the victim, she was 28 years old. And she was a school teacher. She had grown up in, um, most of it was in New York, sorry, New Jersey. And um, she had kind of a rough childhood. She had polio when she was young. And um, that made her have scoliosis because she was walking different. And so they decided that they would do surgery on her when she was about 13. And she um, was laid up for a year in a body cast. That would be horrible. And then when she got out of that, her, her shoulders weren't level. And so she still walked funny. And um, she felt like people just looked at her different and thought she was weird. But she had a really good family life. I mean, um, I guess she was Catholic uh, for her religion, and um, her family seemed to be a really good, loving family. Um, so after New Jersey, she went to New York, and she became a teacher. She went to school in New Jersey for um, the education, and she was teaching at a deaf school. Um yeah, right? Isn't that a, a very noble yeah. thing to be doing? Um, yeah. Yeah, but at night, she would go out to the clubs, and be she would be clubbing. And so the book that I read said that she kind of hung out in the corner, and she would read her book, but then things would start 
you know, the bar would get hopping a little bit more, and then she would kind of start wandering around and and um, hook up with somebody. So neighbors actually said that um, there were several times that they heard screaming coming from her apartment, and um, they didn't know what they should do, you know, if they should go check on her or not. And this one time they did go and check on her and, um, some guy was leaving and she was just screaming at him. So it was just kind of hmm. bizarre the way she reacted. Um, she had a boyfriend, uh, and then kind of, I think a fiance, she was dating a lawyer um, that she she didn't want because he wanted to get married, I think is what it came down to. She just didn't necessarily want that commitment. Um, mm-hmm. And I think because of her um, disfigurement, she sought out things that were harmful and not necessarily good for her personally mm-hmm. as like fighting back, I guess, from that. I don't know. It's very weird. So um, at the same time, uh, it's John Wayne Wilson who was growing up in Indiana and he had a very interesting life as well. When he was young, he got hit by a car. And I think this is a oh, wow. Yeah. This is a really good indication of what can happen if you get brain damage. He was just a really great kid until this happened. Mm-hmm. And then after he got hit in, you know, by the car, he just changed. Yeah. Um, which is really sad. Um Let me see. I've got a couple of quotes here. If it's the the right time. Okay. So one of the things, they said that his mom was kind of domineering and then his dad was an absent dad. Um, Mm -hmm. But his mom did things that seemed like almost head games. And so this is one of the things... um, that she did they were going somewhere and he asked where are we going and she said I've had you a long time she teased and I'm tired of you it's time to turn you in and he just started crying and then he just you know got worse and worse and because he believed her how horrible you know I mean, I know we all say silly things to tease our kids and stuff, but that in in light of everything else is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then knowing more about her personality, it just seems like she may have pushed it a little too far anyway. Yeah. Um, So as he grew up, he just continued to um, kind of had have issues and he would run away. He started running away when he was 13 and um, he ran away two or three times and then he was home and all of a sudden he had this pain in his leg 
and it was so severe his his leg was cold to the touch and this lasted for a couple months and the doctors could not figure out what the problem was and um, then one day um, late December or early January they went to a friend's house for the day and all the kids went out to the pond to ice skate and he limped over, you know, on his crutches. He, he was able to get his um, self over there. And he put on skates, went out there on the pond, and he was fine. And he didn't have any problems after that. Is that not weird? Yeah, weird. Yes. <laughs> it was all psychological. So weird. Yeah. Um. So they basically said his main form of defense was to run away. He would try to get away from situations where maybe he thought he might be, he might hurt somebody or do something he shouldn't do. And so he would, um, he would run away and mm-hmm. um, he continued to do that for basically all of his life. So when he actually um, committed the murder, he was in his early 20s. Um, where Roseanne was in her late 20s. So she was definitely older. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me see. So when he was in the eighth grade, they decided that they needed to put him into a children's hospital so that he could have, uh, be continually monitored and have supervision um, because they didn't want him to hurt himself and... Um, obviously they didn't want him to run away and, you know, he just needed a stable place to be. Um, but there was not enough space at the children's hospital. So what eighth grade is probably 12, 13. Um, they actually ended up committing him to the regional state institution for the mentally ill. And because he needed the constant supervision, they put him in the adult ward, which was maximum security and had guards 24 hours a day. Wow. Right? I just think that is a huge disservice. You know, because he was strapped in his bed um, with all these other adults who had issues. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Just seems horrible. Um, so anyway, his life was, um, a lot like that. He finally ran away. He was able to, you know, make ends meet by, um, waiting tables and those kinds of things. And he would, he would lie to people about what he was doing. Um, he said that he was in this one location in, in, Nevada because he was looking for a ranch for his family that they were wanting to move somewhere and you know he would just make up these elaborate lies um which was you know very interesting and um he traveled all across you know the the United States the southern United States and uh Texas and Florida and all that uh he ends up in New York and while he's there he realizes that he can make money basically as a prostitute for men. So, yeah, he's, he, and in the book it says that he, you know, prefers women himself 
but he knew that he could make mm-hmm. money uh, if he um, solicited the guys, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ended up meeting a guy in New York who became a friend, but a friend in a way that um, he was using, uh, using that, that person. And mm-hmm. the guy wanted to do anything to keep John around. And so he would give him money, he would buy him clothes, he would, you know, do whatever so that he, uh, John, did not have to go out and prostitute himself to get money. Um, and so he could yeah. have him for himself. But John just realized he needed that. It was his escape to get out. And he didn't really stay in one place for very long. So he ended up Mm -hmm. skipping out on this friend. And, of course, he's devastated. But then later, oh, I need money. Okay, I'll send you some. (laughs) I mean, there was still that connection that they just couldn't break. Um, and so actually, uh, John lived with him for a while and, um, let's see. So he had, he had been in another location and, um, had come back. He had been in Florida, I believe, and had met a girl and they had, I think they had gotten married, but they definitely had a kid. She got pregnant and... So they went back up to New York to live with his friend. And he would still try to make money. He wanted to still support his family is what he was saying. He didn't want to keep taking his friend's money. And so Mm -hmm. he would go out and, you know, prostitute himself. And his wife or, you know, was okay with that. I just... Yeah, it's very odd. Um, so the night of the the uh, the murder, he had been staying at um, his friend's house. in In the book, that his name is Danny, but I know that that's not his real name. Um, and so he had just come into town, and Danny decided that that they would go out to eat maybe have a few drinks and, you know, whatever. Um, was, was his name Gary? The, the friend? His, his real name? Yeah, Danny. Was it Gary Guest? It may be. I never really was able to find that. Um, and I, I didn't get a chance to look for him, actually, to be honest. I was looking at the other characters. But yeah, so you said his name was Gary. Yeah, I think I think it was Gary because um, it says here that he Gary uh, the sketch that actually went out about the, the you know for the killers like the police sketch. Yeah, was not of John, but it was of his acquaintance Gary Guest because they had been out together. Yes, and so they had they had seen Gary at the bar. And no one could remember, like, what the guy looked like or anything like that. And so when they finally got a sketch, it was of Gary and not of John. Yeah. <laughs> and so 
And so he said he might be like accused of accessory after the fact or something like that. So I'm, I'm going to guess that that was Gary. Yes. Okay. So now we know what to call him. Okay. Because a lot of the stuff they were saying that they didn't, in the articles I had read, it was an unnamed source, basically. Hmm. I, I would, I will just call him Gary. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that his name came out during, you know, other things, but at the time, that's what it was. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he was staying there and they went out to eat at this bar and it was Tweed's and um, that's where um, Roseanne was and she was at the opposite end of the bar and was kind of watching them and finally um, she went down to start talking with them and there was another guy there that was a regular that she kind of talked to as well and but she mainly spoke with John and Gary finally said I'm leaving uh, you know, I'm going to go home. I'll just see you later. And so um, John decided he was going to stay there. Well, he ended up hooking up with Roseanne. And from what I understand, they went across the street with a group of other people who were going over there and um, hung out for a little while. And then they left and went back to her place. Um, and they don't really know exactly what happened there were some things that that were said but you know word has it that when John had been drinking he could not have sex he just couldn't mm. do that and so he thinks or you know some of the information is that you know she maybe laughed at him that she maybe had given him a hard time about it somehow and um he lost it and started mm -hmm. hitting her and all that and um and then obviously murdered her and uh from what i understand mm -hmm. it was a very horrific um murder he had stuck a candle up inside her um it was it was just really horrible mm -hmm. um but through this process that uh the author had gone through she had tried actually to um talk with um the family of roseanne and they did not want to talk they um I don't think that they really, no. yeah, they really didn't want to know about that other life. You know, they didn't, they didn't want to talk about that stuff, but I don't think they did. Really, did, did, did this book come out after the book that the movie was based off, but like after the fictionalized one or was it the other way around? Um, this book was originally copyrighted in 75 so it was very close to the other one and then it said 77 and then this edition mm -hmm. was published in 2018 so okay. uh the original book uh -huh. the um, fictional one was 1975 as well okay all right well i was just thinking that if the fictionalized version had already come out and you know, the movie was, well, probably wasn't out at that time, but, you know, that her showing up and wanting to talk to them, like, 
they were definitely not going to, especially if the like very popular fictionalized version of this account had come out already. Yes. I can't imagine what kind of scrutiny they were under already and then to have Lacey show up and be like, Hey, I'd like to write another book about this. Yeah. Which kind of helped her have the viewpoint more of John versus um, Roseanne, which you know, it wasn't really a balanced retelling because you don't get her side. Uh, a few of the friends finally did open up a little bit about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the family especially was like, she's a good girl. She she wouldn't have done these things, you know. But then there's mm-hmm. the other side that she really was doing those things. Um she was found a couple days later. This was um, just after the new year. She w- had gone down to the bar, Tweed's bar, and um, she didn't show up for work uh, the next couple days. And so uh, one of her coworkers uh, was able to get the landlord to, to let him in the apartment. And that, that's when they found her. Um, but yeah, I mean, from what you were saying, uh, from that article that you just read, they really didn't have any leads because after that happened, John left town, he went to Florida and he was out of there. Um, Mm -hmm. and so they, they had no leads. They would go and talk to people at the bar and he was not memorable for some reason. Nobody could place him. Mm-hmm. And so, um, they were able to, I think, you know, um, do more of a sketch of his friend Gary. And like you said, that's how mm-hmm. they, they ended up, um, going to him. So Gary had a suspicion right away when it, um, finally came out in the paper. It didn't come out for a couple of days. John had actually called him and told him that what he had done or he was still at the house at that time, told him everything he had done. And um, he didn't know if he should believe it or not, because there wasn't anything in the paper. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, it was published in the paper. And he's like, oh my gosh, now what do I do? I know this, that John did this, but he skipped town. What, you know, who should I tell? What's going on and all that? Well, John had finally called Gary and they talked and decided that he should go to Indiana to see his family. And so Gary gave him the money to do that, to fly over there. And um, in the meantime, Gary was like, what do I do? Do I, you know, tell the police? Do I not? So he called his lawyer and... Uh, he was like, yes, you need to come forward with all of this. And so he did. And he had a really hard time about that because he had all these feelings for Gary and really, I think, wanted him as his partner uh, and would have done anything for him. So, yeah, so to turn him in, it was just horrible. Uh, And, you know, a hard Mm -hmm. thing for him to do. So... Um, when John got to his parents, I believe the police were waiting for him and that's when, um, they arrested him and, uh, I believe they brought him back to New York and he was put in a, um, 
he was put in jail, and then they decided that he needed to be evaluated, so they sent him to a hospital for uh, two weeks. He was there that whole time and was shuffled from here to there, and he ended up never getting his evaluation. And, oh. yeah. Um, so, anyway... Sorry, I was thinking back to it when he was younger and was at the other facility, some of the things that had happened. But um, so, yeah, so they ended up shipping him back to the jail and they didn't have the room to put him in um, a suicide watch area. So they put him in with a mm-hmm. general population. And he was, uh, he was able to get a sheet and he hung himself. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so he died, did not go to trial, you know, nothing ever came of that. Um, but he ended up having two kids with, uh, with that lady, and mm-hmm. I, I did not, you know, follow up with, with what had happened to her. Yeah, so from what I'm looking at here, um, his wife was named Kathy. Okay. And, um, let's see, I'm also reading, so was this covered in the book at all, but when he was in, in the general population, Wilson got into an argument with a prison guard and threatened to kill himself. The guard taunted him yes. by asking if he wanted sheets to help him commit suicide and later, later threw bed sheets into his cell. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, here you go, buddy. It's, it's really sad. That's crazy. And the, the, the other... Terrible. It is terrible. The other thing is, is that I, I feel like this was just a, a meeting, a chance meeting of two uh, emotionally hurting people. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they were not... Um, they had scars from their younger life from, you know, the accidents that they were in and the, you know, hospitals and being in a cast for a year and, you know, all that stuff. And it, I think, I I just wonder, and not saying that this is right or anything, but I kind of wonder based on some of the things that were brought out, what she did that may have set him off. Um, Because it sounds like she had, had been that way with other guys um, where she provoked them. And I don't know if that was something where she, that's what she got off on is getting them mad at her and. Right. Needing- so, like that maybe she was into a little more uh, kinky stuff. Yeah. And I mean, in, in being the, being the seventies, the sexual revolution was, you know, happening. Yes. But I think there was still a lot of, like stigma about you know BDSM or uh, you know, being gay or anything like that. Yes, I mean there was definitely some changes happening, but I think a lot of that stuff was still very looked down upon. Yes, they never and so they never would have had the book Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> at that time, right? Right, or even a community that they could you know talk to or hang out with or yeah. anything like that, like other people that are into the same thing. 
Right. And if she couldn't, if she couldn't find something like that, I mean, yeah, picking a fight with someone that you think might actually hit you. Yeah. But. So, um, you know, John was supposed to have been, you know, very intelligent, and so was she. I mean, they just really seem to have mm-hmm. a lot of similarities in their, uh, in their lives and, and who they were. Um, so, for this to happen, it, I don't know, it was a horrific thing to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think that there may have been circumstances in their past that that brought them to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is terrible. Yeah. So part of the reason, you know, they were talking at the beginning of the book about this was, like you said, the 70s sexual revolution, you know, all this stuff, free love going on. And um, mm-hmm. that's why this book, I think became more of a a story because they said there were all kinds of murders happening in New York at that time. Why was this one singled out? And they mm-hmm. said it was because, you know, she was the good Catholic school teacher and basically saying that this could happen to anybody and kind of a warning to women about going to bars and picking up men, um, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, I, I see where they're coming from on that. Mm-hmm. But the majority of women that are killed are killed by their partners. Not necessarily someone they just met, but someone that they've been in a long-term relationship with. Yes. You know? And there's bad, bad people everywhere. True. You can meet a bad person without even realizing that you're meeting a person that's capable of killing you at any time. Yeah. But it's also like now, I think of it as like the online dating. You know, a lot of people do online dating. A lot of people haven't been murdered, but you name a dating site and there's probably been a murder associated with it. (laughs) Right. And, you know, it's just like, always be vigilant. <laughs> yeah. And we know that there's pedophile stuff that goes on, you know, with sites mm-hmm. like that, too. So whether or not it's actually a, um, a murder for the crime, it may be something else that's happening with it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I can see kind of the, the argument there, but it's also like, you know... Not every woman that went to a bar and picked up a guy got murdered. Right. So. That's very true. So from what I understand, based on, you know, just reading a couple of reviews, the um, the initial version uh, was very much more graphic, from what I understand, um, through the whole thing. And this one is still kind of interpretive because she didn't know everything that had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, She obviously didn't know um, a lot of Roseanne's story. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, they're just... That's probably why the other book was fictionalized. Because nobody was willing to talk about Roseanne or anything like that. She was like, well, if I make it a 
fictionalized account and I can make up whatever I want. Yes. And so. Yep. At least she tried to, to stick to the facts as best as she could. Yes, exactly. It's a little weird that she changed the names, though. Like, by the time she was publishing this, like, everybody already knew. So it is a little weird that she wanted to change the names. Yeah, it, it is really weird. Because she named her Catherine Cleary, is what her name was in this book. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the 1977 film, uh, I'm not sure if we have that in the library, I have not checked, but Richard Gere starred in it, and Diane Keaton. Uh, that's where I got yeah, Teresa. I don't think we, yeah, I don't think we do have it in the library, but I thought if we mentioned it at the time, we might be able to get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Diane Keaton, they're saying, was Teresa, who was... Roseanne, the victim. Mm -hmm. So that's where I got Teresa from, from the movie. Um, But then Catherine was also in the movie as a um, older sister, I think. And then they Mm -hmm. had Tom Berger. Berger was Gary. So, yeah, it kind of makes me want to watch it. I'm not sure what the reviews yeah. were on it, but. Well, you get to see a young Richard Gere being creepy. <laughs> like, that, that sounds great. <laughs> right? <laughs> really says that. But, so, okay, I'm reading a little bit about the book. Uh-huh. Um, it won an Edgar Award in 1978 for Best Fact. Crime book. Oh, but it looked like that there was mixed feelings about that because she mixed fact and fiction in a controversial technique she referred to as interpretive biography. Yes, and that's what Lacey, uh, the author of this book, is saying that it was an interpretive. Um, because well, yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. Like this book, Lacey's book. Oh, okay. And then Edgar Award in 1978. And that was her controversial technique that she referred to as interpretive biography. Got it. And it looks like in 1980, she admitted to the New York Times that she had created scenes or dialogue. This is a direct quote from her. Uh Created scenes or dialogue, I think it reasonable and fair to assume could have taken place, perhaps even did. Okay. So I'm like, perhaps even did fiction. Yeah. (laughs) If if you've got a blank spot and you're like, I don't know what happened here. Let me try to guess what happened here. That (laughs) probably happened. Let me write it down. Yeah. You just created fiction. Yeah. (laughs) Because you don't know. I mean, you're, you're writing that from what you think might've happened from your perspective and the things that have happened in Mm -hmm. your life, not necessarily who they were and where they were coming from. So, yeah, it's right. completely different. Yeah, and so from what I can, what I'm reading here, um, he he told the detectives, no, he told his attorney that, yeah, he was unable to, to maintain arousal. Quinn insulted him and demanded that he leave the apartment and an argument ensued. He'd also said that 
when they got back to her apartment, they smoked marijuana and then attempted to have intercourse. Okay. So he could have been a little, a little high too. Yep. But he stabbed her 18 times. Mm-hmm. Like that's. Yeah. It wasn't that's, just that nuts to me. Like if she, you know, I mean, I guess if she made you feel bad about not being able to have intercourse, I mean, I could see you getting upset and angry about that, but to stab her 18 times, <laughs> yeah, it's that like, seems like a lot more than she made, made him feel bad. After the first or second time, that's one thing, but to continue doing it. Yeah. So. Man. Yes, it was it was very very brutal and messed up. Mm-hmm. Just messed up. So one of the things also about Roseanne when she was teaching, um, she had gone back to the school at night for some reason, um, and there was a student in there that attacked her and tried to rape her, um, and oh. it ended up being like a twelve year old kid that had pinned her against the wall and you know was trying to do that and um she was able to get away and one of the things Mm -hmm. they said is that she turned around um and could see the look of disgust because her shirt had ripped and you know her scar was showing um so it just made her feel bad about herself even more Mm -hmm. you know um but it's just so hard to tell now with the interpretive biography if that stuff was really true. Right. If that's true or not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, it puts but a whole I mean, new skin. I, I can understand, you know, her having scars and always feeling unattractive, even though, like, I'm looking at a picture of her and she's, she's a really... She's an attractive young woman. Like she's really mm-hmm. cute. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I can I can understand her feeling so insecure about her body because of this thing that she can't really do anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe she was looking for some cal- some kind of comfort and validation to you know other people, but yes. By taking them home and you know meeting up with somebody and that they wanted to come home with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounded like everybody needed therapy. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, I mean, talk this stuff out and deal with, with it in a way that is healthy. And, but also, it was the 70s. You know, like therapy at that time was not wildly accepted either. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like, I'm going to therapy. You know, people are like, okay, you're either super rich or, you know, like it still wasn't something that was widely accepted by society. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, okay, well, you're going to see a therapist. Good for you. Right. You know, it was always like, oh, you're seeing a therapist. I wonder what's wrong with you. Like <laughs> that kind of thing. Yes. And it wasn't, it wasn't ex- like accessible either. Like it wasn't affordable. <laughs> so it's just. Yeah. And. I don't really think therapy right now is really affordable. It's definitely much more affordable than it used to be. Mm -hmm. I think there could still be some changes where it could be more affordable 
to everybody so people could actually have more access to it and be a little more mentally healthy. Right. But in the 70s, like in the 70s, yeah, everything was taboo unless you were married and had kids, you know, like everything was like, oh my gosh, I'm sure she was 20, what, 28? Uh Uh-huh. And being unmarried, I'm sure was looked down upon too. Well, yeah, that's true. She was an old maid at that time, right? Right. Which just added to the who's going to want you mindset. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's just, it was definitely a different time. All right. Well, that's all I got. That's all you got? That's all I got. So, you know, I always want to know what, you know, the follow-up story, but, you know, he killed himself. So that happened very quick before any trial happened. And so there wasn't really much to say. Yeah. And I think, man, at that time, also in the 70s, he had a really good shot of getting the death penalty. Yeah. You know, not just like, okay, life in prison. Well, and... and Go ahead. I was going to say, in the late 70s was, what, electric chair? Was that the... Probably. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they were also saying, I think he just had a really huge disservice, um, you know, growing up and the the care that he got. Um, You know, that they... The mother didn't help tie in his behavioral issues when she took him to um, to the doctor to see about his leg, why he had mm-hmm. he couldn't walk and all that. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the stuff that I read, it was um, they were working on incomplete information or working with incomplete information. And he just wasn't given the care that he really needed, I think at the time, but that goes back to the the seventies and what there was available and how they treated people Mm -hmm. in those situations. Right. And this is when he was, when he was young, right? So late fifties, early sixties, probably Uh in that time. Yeah. So, I mean, even less so. Like, I can't, I can't imagine that the doctor, like her, her regular medical doctor was like, oh, so all of this was psychological. We need to get him to a therapist. And then it was like, oh, well, it was all in his head. He's good now. Yeah. Like, like that was just a perfectly normal thing. Like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, he's good now. So what's the problem? Yeah. Instead right. of trying to figure out what the problem was or he'll grow out of it <laughs> right yeah it's just a phase no don't worry about it yeah <laughs> you know this, this is the same time period where alcoholism was treated with a pill <laughs> like, oh you think you've been drinking too much let me prescribe this to you <laughs> you know it's just like that's not the way that works <laughs> right <laughs> oh Yep, the the medical breakthroughs that they had, right? Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It was the best that they could do at the time. Yeah. But it makes you think of how many other people, you know, fell through the cracks for things that 
just weren't commonly diagnosed, like postpartum depression, you know, like that kind of stuff where yeah, it's a little more known now, but then it was just like, you should be happy to get over it, like that kind of thing. Like that's how mental illness was treated back then was, you should really just get over it. <laughs> It'll be all right. Like, Yeah. And that was even, you know, perpetuated into um, the early 2000s, because that's when, um, was it Brooke Shields had admitted that she was taking something for it, and Tom Cruise just bashed her for that. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it was still, you know, not widely spread. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think it's still, like, there's still a, a lot of, like, it's, like, a lot of things in this time period, there's things that have come a long way. Yes. Like, at least now, if something like that were to happen, your medical physician might say, he might need to talk to somebody, let me refer you. Mm-hmm. But, as far as society is still concerned, there's still a lot of you know, negative response to something like that. Like, oh, you're taking your kid to a therapist? Like, what, you know, or you're going to therapy? Like, I think we're, we've come a a long way, but I think there's still a long way to go before people don't take mental illness as something, you know, horrible that you shouldn't speak of. Right. And, And I think that, I think we're getting there, but I think there's still a lot of that. So it's just sad. Yes, it is. It is. So anyway, the the book is called Closing Time, the true story of the looking for Mr. Goodbar murder. And it was written by Lacey Fosborough. We do have it in the library, so you can um, put it on hold and come and pick it up curbside. If you're interested, and we will see if we can get that film adaptation in the library for you to check out. Yeah. All right. You have been listening to Do We Like Murder? And we hope that you have enjoyed this segment um, of our very fascinating murders, past and more recent past. (laughs) Have a good day.